0: I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week, talking with entrepreneurs and deal makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal maker's DNA. All right, everyone, thank you very much uh, for joining us again. I have a. Uh... A very special guest to have, uh, Kelsey Boyer. Kelsey is uh, not only a friend, but a very accomplished young lady here in her own right. Kelsey spent some time in the recruitment space. Before that, was account executive at Media Planet. Um, became a partner in her last business, and then took the leap earlier this year to start her own life and executive coaching business. And I know that uh, Kelsey, you've been doing that. For quite some time on the side, but now this is a a full time endeavor. So congratulations!
1: Thank you. It's been amazing.
0: I mean, talk about timing. I mean, this is this is an interesting time to start your own thing.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting timing. I I was definitely hesitant for a while, but everyone is reflecting and spending more time with themselves, and uh, there has definitely been a need in the market. So. Tried it out, kind of pushing it more heavily on the side and and noticed there was a gap. So finally decided to make the leap.
0: So I definitely wanna talk at length about kind of, you know, what you view coaching and mentoring as, but I want to take a step back and just hear a little bit about your your earlier life, childhood, like what 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 got you to this point? Maybe just start us at the beginning.
1: All right. So I think what started me, like what started with coaching, where I started with coaching was I was about 17 or 18 years old. And, and up until this point, I'm being completely transparent here. Up until this point, my entire teenage life, I had to deal with a lot at home. My, one of my family members was struggling through drug addiction and I was dealing with a lot of verbal abuse and Essentially, had to take a leadership role in my family at 12 years old, and was taking care of my younger brother. And yeah, it was a lot. And I I dealt with this for a couple of years until I was about 17, and decided it was time to move out and finally kind of prioritize myself and my own needs. Through this, I ended up finding an, an organization that was based in the Hamilton area because I grew up in Stony Creek, and they were completely focused on. Helping young girls become strong women through sport, and I'm actually still a part of this organization today, and I'm on the board. And when I originally got involved, I got involved as a coach, and it was. This, a
0: this rubbing- is the Active Beautiful Foundation.
1: This has been Active Beautiful Foundation. Yep. Yeah. So it was basically in its infancy when I was 17, and. I thought that I should kind of divert my energy in a more positive way and got involved with coaching these girls and underprivileged communities. obviously had a lot of experience in that area myself, and that 's where my love for coaching started.
0: Kelsey, you talk about the kind of struggle as a, as a younger person i'm amazed at, at, at how much you know struggle can, you know can sharpen a knife right I mean it could really make you a much uh, more powerful person, or it could actually break you. It could make you or break you. Talk about when did you kind of realize that that childhood was different? When did you kind of take ownership of, you know, s- still, you know, using that to create more, uh, you know, opportunity for you as opposed to break you? Like, did you remember acknowledging that or did it just kind of, it just happened?
1: A little bit of both. So for me, I'm very much a person who's motivated when someone tells me I can't do something. And because I was in such an abusive environment and constantly being told I couldn't do something, I was like, great, cool, watch me. And I think so. It was definitely partially on that front. And then on the other side, I definitely had other mentors outside of that who always believed in me. And and I think that that had a big part of it, but I always have been... I mean, even while I was going through that, I remember going at 12 or 13 years old, I think I was 12, going to my dad and I asked him for help on my resume. He's like, oh, that's cute. Is it for a school project? I'm like, no, uh, we're going to go apply for jobs tomorrow. Are you going to help me or not? <laughs> and so I, I think I've just always been that kind of person who just wants to do better and and continue to move towards my best. And even if I am going through something and and even on top of that, because I had to take on that leadership role and I was taking care of my brother, I think I wanted to set a good example for him as well. So I put that pressure on myself.
0: So, so let's talk about mentorship because you know it, it definitely, when, when people have struggles at home, there still are others around that they can draw strength from, that they can look to. Maybe just give a couple examples of, of some of the mentors that you've had along the way that have helped steer you in the right direction.
1: Absolutely, so when I decided to move out, so thankfully, I, my parents were divorced and I decided to move out and my stepmom at the time, she has always been my biggest mentor. She also dealt with a lot of lot of struggle, was pregnant at sixteen and so when she married my dad, it was with her daughter and she ended up, yeah, breaking through a lot of barriers and created a really successful career in the in the financial services industry. And then when I was 17, she actually, she's the founder of Fit Active Beautiful, Beautiful Foundation. So she decided to, again, take her experiences. She had developed a successful career and decided to, she just decided that if she wasn't being a part of the solution, then she was perpetuating the problem. And I always looked up to her for that. And she has always been my rock and my second, I even call her my mom. Like she's just always been there for me. And so when I was going through that tough time, she had been through something similar, actually worse, to be honest. And I feel like she was, yeah, I mean, not only did she motivate me to continue pushing forward, but just to continuously reflect on myself and, and just acknowledge the journey and acknowledge it for what it is.
0: So you you touched on you know, having to be a leader for your brother, and you wanted him to look up look up to you, and be proud of you, and you know, have a good good role model. One of the things I haven't spoken a lot about on this podcast is that sibling relationship, because I think that a lot of people speak about those individuals in their lives that are older than them, but I think that you can absolutely draw inspiration from those sibling relationships. I know that for me in particular, I I have two brothers and a sister, and those relationships have been crucial to to my upbringing. I'm the eldest of four as well. And then there's definitely something about an eldest child. So maybe, maybe talk a little bit about that relationship in particular. You know, you guys grow up together. There's, there's this unique dynamic and what role that's played in shaping you as well.
1: So my brother is also one of the smartest people I know. He is just a natural board genius and So I'm three years older than him, but he's always been at my level. So I've always been extremely competitive (laughs) with him being younger and more, more intelligent than I am. And and now I've just accepted it. But yeah, I mean, we've just always pushed each other and he was always in tune with his intelligence, but not as much his emotions and being able to express himself. So I feel like that's where I came in and that's where I was able to, to help him out. And even though he may not view me as book smart as him or as intelligent as he, as he is, he's still, I'm still always the first person that he comes to.
0: Well, look, there's a difference in EQ and IQ, right? I mean, I'd argue that uh, in, in today's world, EQ is more important than IQ. So historically, we speak about intelligence as the IQ uh, factor, but uh, I think increasingly so that's, that's changing.
1: Exactly. And and I think that was something that it, I didn't understand as a kid and definitely understood that more as I grew up. But that's why I was so competitive with him, because I didn't want him to be smarter than me. But yeah, he's amazing. And we are polar opposite people. And we definitely were we. We were closer as kids and we we, I wouldn't say we've grown apart, but we're we're just so different. But we are still always there for each other. And even for my business, he built my website and he did everything on the back end, the technical part for me. And anything that he needs on the coaching standpoint or anything, like I'm always there for him. So yeah, it's been good. And and instead of getting and even on I guess on the personal side with him, I wasn't one of those girls who did dance or gymnastics or anything like that. I always played sports. So he and I were always, whatever, practicing for baseball or playing hockey or something like that. And I think having a brother and then also kind of having my dad as my strong, stronger influencer was great for that because I think I, I learned a lot about being a leader through sport, which helped me to step into that leadership role and my family with my, on the other side.
0: Let's talk about sports for a second. It's funny. In, in my business, I always joke that every second person we hire is from a competitive you know, hockey background. And it's something about that competitive nature of an athlete that, that translates well into, especially what we do in terms of deal-making. But I think a lot about, you know, I have two young children and sports is a big part of, uh, of especially my, my boy's life. I would wish it to be more so of my girl's uh, You know, side, <laughs> but she, she, she likes art and other things, which uh, we, we will support fully. But but just just talk about your experience with sport, because I think that there's, there's so much more than just learning leadership skills, learning how to work on a team, you know, it's it's a full community. It's it's people you can like lean on. It's another family. I mean, I think about my son's hockey team and he has like his work, sorry, his school friends and he has his hockey friends and it's like a, a whole other community.
1: 100%. So originally, so my dad played high level hockey. I think he got up to junior A and he was very good. So it was always his hope that one or both of his kids would play. And he tried to put my brother in. My brother sat on the ice and cried and just like wasn't having it. So I was his only hope. (laughs) And at that point, and even to this day, I worship the ground my dad walks on. So I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And I was nine when I started. And everybody else starts when they're younger. So I was really bad, but I loved it. And I was, uh, you probably won't believe this, but I was the shyest kid. Like going going out for dinner and my dad making me order was the most cringeworthy thing I had to do, and he was just constantly trying to push me out of my shell, and I just kept diverting further into it. And I feel like being in sports finally helped me. It took me a while, but helped me to come out of my shell.
0: Do you think you changed? I mean, because it's funny, people who know me, I'm a, a massive extrovert, as you as you know, and I was an incredibly shy kid. And I've had this conversation with my mother before. It's like. I feel like I was always this person, but I just could, didn't have the confidence as a kid to be the person I am. Where Some people think, no, no, I really was that shy kid and I, I transitioned and I learned how to become more of an extrovert. What do you think is true for you?
1: I think it's the exact same for me. And I think that's something that specifically my dad always saw in me. He knew that I had this big personality and all of this confidence, but he was the only one who ever saw it. And he, not even my siblings or step parents or any other parents thought he was the only one that I was confident with so I think I was yeah I was very similar in in the sense that it was definitely in there and I just needed to come out of my shell
0: so so talk to me about your your early career you know you went did you well, what school I'm, I'm trying to look at your you went to Brock um, and did you enjoy that was school a means to an end for you or was that enjoyable
1: love school. I don't think I'm a university learner. I, I definitely went to get the piece of paper and, and be done with it. I, I did well in school and I've always been good at school, but I didn't I didn't really find that it was appealing to my style of learning. And I also went specifically to university because for the same motivator that a lot of people told me that I couldn't.
0: The chip on the shoulder the reverse psychology is a very powerful tool for, for, for people like you and me, where it's like, you know, we want to want to prove people wrong
1: (laughs) exactly oh yeah it's it's crazy and yeah because of everything I was going through and it kind of seemed like I was going to go down the wrong path and and every time someone said that to me I'm like oh just watch me and I was the first person in my entire family to graduate from university so for me it was just more a pride thing (laughs) I mean, I, I had some enjoyable experiences, but do I did I take much away from university that I ended up using in my career? Not really much until my fourth year when we we're actually working with companies on real projects and coming up with solutions for the organizations, which I thrive on. So that was great. But uh, I would say I was still dealing with a lot on the personal side and managing a lot of obstacles in my family and university. So it was definitely more a means to an end at that point. But if I were to go back in time, I think I would be much more dedicated and.
0: So so now you you know you finish university, you enter the workforce. You know talk about those first couple of roles that you had. You know how did you eventually get into recruiting? You know obviously it's a people based business, which which I imagine has something to do with it. But just talk me through that early part of your career.
1: Yeah, so I as I mentioned earlier, I, I've been working since I was twelve years old, and I got into the hospitality industry when I was fourteen. And then at right before my 19th birthday, I'd been working at a restaurant for a very long time. Right before my 19th birthday, I got promoted to a managerial position. And I was working that basically full-time while I was in school to help pay for school. And I still had that job when I graduated and I wanted to do a bunch of traveling. So I kept that managerial position and did a 40-day backpacking trip in Europe. And then I also traveled to Southeast Asia. I went all over the place. And it was amazing. That job was great at the time to afford me the ability to do that. And I always knew that I was a natural born leader. So getting into that role while I was in second year university wasn't a surprise, but it it was really helpful for me. And anytime, like I, even when I was waitressing or bartending, whatever I was doing there, I I knew that sales was something that I was really drawn to. And it was definitely one of my strengths. So I did the restaurant job for another year after graduating and traveled more and then got my first sales job in advertising in Toronto through a recruiter actually. And I lasted maybe six months in that job. It was awful, but it was I mean, it taught me so much about sales. It was super cutthroat. You were basically being sat down by your manager on a bi-weekly basis saying if you didn't sell whatever, 5, 10, 20K by the end of the week, you were going to be fired. <laughs> and everybody was at the same table on the phones. Your direct manager was sitting right beside you, listening in on all of your calls. And it was so nerve wracking, but it, it, it gave me the confidence that I needed to thrive in sales for the rest of my career because it was just so cutthroat. I never ended up getting fired, but I decided that my mental health was more important and left that job. And my stepmom happened to know someone who owned a technical recruitment company and they were accepting people with no experience. And the fact that I had sales experience because it's so transferable, they were interested and I got the job there. And same thing, a very cutthroat environment, but very male-dominated environment. And I am a very, as you probably know too, a very blunt and honest person. And (laughs) I made some comments about the environment because they wanted to hire more women and just said that the environment wasn't really suited for that. And I wasn't having a great experience as a woman in the environment and didn't really feel like my ideas were valued. And if they did want to hire more women, they needed to make some serious changes to their culture. They didn't like that and fired me. <laughs> that was maybe four months in. But two days later, I was already interviewing at the time because I knew it wasn't for me. Two days later, I got a corporate account executive role where I was not only doing the recruitment, but responsible for business development and managing the, the business I brought in as well. That's where my recruitment career really took off. And I was given the tools, everything I needed really quickly moved up into a leadership role. And, and then that's what led me. I was there for a couple years. And then finally made the leap as the third employee at that AI recruitment startup that I left recently and eventually grew into a partner because I helped to grow the organization from the ground up.
0: Talk to me about, about leaving jobs. I think a lot of people get that wrong. You know, I think that the, a lot of damage can be done in, some, in one's career when they leave positions. Conversely, a lot of goodwill can be established if they leave positions the right way. And I've seen this in the past where I'm amazed that You know, someone's gonna spend two, three years at a position and then do something at the very end to just completely screw themselves. What's your experience been like? And when you have people that you coach that are looking to go through a transition, what's the advice you give them as it relates to doing it right and doing it wrong?
1: I know what's worked best for me, but I'm also open to other strategies. But what's worked best for me is always being incredibly transparent. And so when I left my corporate role to be the third employee on full commission, it's, it's a huge risk, but I just explained to my managers that I felt like that was what I needed for my career. I was so young at that point. I mean, I think I was 26 years old. And I mentioned that like up until that point, I worked my ass off to close a bunch of deals to show them that I valued their company and to show them that, you know, I I proved my worth and I wanted to make sure that I was leaving off on a really good note. And every single company I've ever left, I've always made sure to close a few deals and then and then leave. So then at least I'm leaving on a good note. I've made them some money and they can be more supportive in in me moving on to my next career. And even my last role in the in, as a partner, my the founder was fully supportive. He he's like, I, I know recruitment wasn't in your heart long term. And I appreciate that you stayed as long as you did and, and did what you did for us. And yeah, I mean, he, he knew that I had been coaching on the side since 2016, so I think it's just being transparent about what, where my head's at constantly and, and where I want to go.
0: It's incredible to me how much easier life is when you're just transparent and authentic. I think that when you try and play too many games, you're trying to keep it all in your mind and, you know, it, it, what did I say to this person, what did I say to that person? It's just like, gets you in trouble. I mean, I, I, sleep, I sleep very well at night just knowing that I'm always going to be exactly the same with everyone. There's a lot to be said about that authenticity. I find it's interesting. People, people find me engaging and, and memorable. And I and I and I I've asked myself the question why that is so many times. I have the same English language, I have the same ability to string that those those English words together as anyone else. But at the end of the day, it's like I think people find it refreshing to be around someone who doesn't have an ulterior motive, because I think a lot of people do. And if I if I have a motive, I'm gonna tell you my motive. Like I'm I'm gonna be very transparent about like I'm trying to sell you. Like that is what I'm trying to do. And people just like kind of feel you know, refreshed. I feel any young entrepreneur or young person, especially if you're in sales, but I'd say, I'd say to some degree, everyone is in sales, right? You're, you're, you're going to sell yourself. You're in sales one way or another, but to be transparent and authentic, although it could be difficult and vulnerable at times, ultimately it's the right strategy. I know it is.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I always advise my clients to do that as well. I'm like being human is the best thing that you'll ever be able to do for yourself.
0: You said you had hesitation leaving the, you know, the role as a recruiter, even though it wasn't in your heart, you know, how long did that transition take you to like really make up your mind? And and, and what was the impetus to finally saying, screw it, I'm doing it?
1: Uh, I think it was about six to 12 months. I mean, Twelve at the 12 month month mark, I knew I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted. I knew that I liked coaching. I knew that I was really good at the recruitment. I knew that I was really good at managing and coaching people. And I just wasn't really sure what that next step was. So I was willing to kind of sit in that for a little bit and do some own reflection and in, inner work to figure it out. So I think that's where it started. And then it really started to be more apparent when I'm always very, I'm big on, even though I'm a coach, like I have my own coach, I have my own therapist. I actually have multiple coaches. I do my own personal development because I want to be able to show up as best as I can for my clients and constantly be able to contribute to them. So it was either starting with a, with a new therapist or another personal development course that I took both of those combined, I was, was mapping out my vision and my legacy for my life. And in both things, the first thing I wrote was that I was going to have a coaching business. And as soon as I think just writing it down, and this is what I I coach my clients on is writing things down and manifesting it more and declaring it out loud to somebody. So I started declaring it out loud to more people. And as soon as I declare anything out loud, it's like, yeah, I got to do it. So as soon as I made that declaration, I knew that it was only a matter of time. So I started to slowly transition out and slowly start to build my business up. So I was in a comfortable position to to leave my role and then finally made the leap. And actually my original plan wasn't to make a leap until the end of this year and ended up doing it a month no two months ago.
0: Let's talk about manifestation. That's one topic I haven't spoken about yet, but I'm a I think, I think a lot of people view that, you know, manifesting something into reality as like this hocus pocus bullshit. I totally disagree with it. I like, I I think that it's absolutely true. When I, when I hear people say, oh, you know, bad things always happen to me. I completely believe them. Like if you think bad things are going to happen, they're going to happen. Tell me how you, how do you convince someone that manifesting something is actually real? Because I have a hard time convincing someone because it does feel a little bit like magic. And a lot of people just say like, well, magic doesn't exist. So what do you say to like get people to believe that it, that it matters?
1: So I go at that from a couple of different directions. Sometimes I'll have them reflect on their past accomplishments and really think about how they got there. Was that something that they wanted or did it just magically appear and all of a sudden they accomplished it? and or just reflecting on anything that anything big that they've done in their lives just reflecting on on how they got there and, and getting deep so so that's one area and then another area is also just talking about my own experiences but sometimes yeah I, I mean some people still think it's bullshit because i i could just be telling them what they want to hear so i typically take the angle of getting them to reflect themselves and sometimes at the beginning of my coaching programs people don't believe it so In the first session, I address that head on and I actually have my clients develop, uh, you know, get really deeply connected to their why and have them write it down. And then I tell them to read it every single morning as a part of their morning routine and make sure that I remember it as well. And then two to three weeks into my program, all of a sudden they're starting to take steps towards whatever that why is. So then they start to believe it themselves or even further in my program, I've I've had clients develop their long-term vision and then a week later on our next session together, they're again, taking the steps towards that long-term vision that they didn't even know they wanted a week ago. So it's not only talking about my client experience, but like putting them in it and, and letting them experience it for, for themselves so they can believe it.
0: So for those individuals, I'd say most people haven't had the the opportunity to work with a, with a coach of any kind, whether it be a life coach, an executive coach, for those people, maybe just explain to them, you know, what the role of that coach is, how it helps, what the cadence looks like. Just give a bit of a a Coles notes on on what that process actually looks like. To be honest with you, I've never had a, I've never had a coach. I mean, I've I've lived with my, I've lived with my mother who is kind of a coach for me, I've been fortunate in that respect, but I, I don't even know really what the process entails.
1: Yeah. And I, and I do think that a lot of people get mixed up between coaches and therapists. So I always like to mention that. Yeah, I mean, I am not a psychologist. I do not have a psychological background. Yes, I'm a certified coach. And yes, I know a lot about leadership, but they're a little bit different in that sense. And a therapist is, you know, you're in a one-on-one appointment and they're trying to get through to your deep-rooted issues and talk about them and get that emotion to come up typically. And then hopefully you finish off that session with a breakthrough. And my style, and I think a lot of coaches are different, but we all kind of follow the same cadence in the sense that we are still looking for our clients to get those breakthroughs, but we aren't necessarily qualified to go as deep as a therapist. So we're more focused, I think, on the, the mindset and, man- and manifestation focus. So I still work through like work through limiting beliefs from childhood with my clients, but basically work to reprogram them to position their mind for success and coaching is more i think dedicated to positioning yourself for for success and then also with that extra support and accountability whereas therapy is just the one-on-one session you finish your session you pay you wait for the next one with a coach there's educational components that are sent over the one-on-one weekly session and then with midweek check-ins constant check-ins to you know hold hold these people accountable and then also if for myself because I'm focused on leadership. I, I work with leaders to, if there's anything that they're struggling with or something specific, like I work with them to come up with a plan of action on whatever they're looking to tackle.
0: I know you specifically work with with women leaders. I, I do. What do you find is different coaching a, a woman versus a man, you know, in today's society?
1: It's funny because, I mean, the whole reason I coach women is, is definitely based on my own experiences because I've always ever been in male-dominated environments. And it's a lot harder to get a seat at the table. And then when you have that seat, ensuring to keep it. And so I think that's where my my original focus on women started. And I and I just noticed a lack of confidence in their own abilities. And everybody sees, even when applying for a job, I mean, a man will have two out of the 10 qualifications and apply anyway. A woman will have nine out of 10, out of 10 and not apply. It kind of goes the same with, with leadership, but more often than not. And I think a lot of women struggle with imposter syndrome, a lot more women struggle with imposter syndrome over men. And I've coached men as well. And I think men are just much more confident and they, they know who they are and they know what they bring to the table. Whereas women are still looking to, to build that up. And so that's always just been my mission is to continue to lift the potential of women and, and create more female leaders in the world because I, I've always been in those environments where there aren't as many female leaders.
0: So, I mean, you've coached numerous people by now. What are some of the common, the common mistakes people are making? I mean, there, there must be some patterns of behavior that you see that are negatively affecting individuals that you coach. And then conversely, what are some of the positive behaviors that you think manifest themselves in individuals that do very well and move up and the coaching is effective for them? So maybe start with the negatives, some of the trends and talk about the positives.
1: I think uh, the biggest one is just not believing in themselves enough. It's definitely been a little bit of societal conditioning that has contributed to that. But I think just not truly understanding how much they've accomplished up until this point and how much they can bring to the table. And I think this leads, I mean, I've definitely been in this place before, maybe not acknowledging my opinions at the table of, ex- or and, and, yeah, not acknowledging and not expressing my opinions at the table of executives and, and holding back when... I know I have something val- valuable to say. So that's definitely a big one. And then I think also on the leadership standpoint is so women we I feel like because we are trying harder to get that seat at the table, we're working really hard and forgetting to take care of ourselves. And I've definitely noticed that with a lot of clients that are are just lo- and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing towards that growth and and wanting to move up in the company but forgetting to take care of their mental health or just taking time to themselves, maybe taking time to journal anything. And then also on top of that, and something that I know I had struggled with in the past that I've seen with a lot of my clients is because you want to continue to keep that seat at the table and you don't want to come off as a pushover or, you know, too bubbly or whatever it is, sometimes sacrificing your authenticity and sacrificing your, your own personal self in order to keep your seat at the table and and becoming like a little, like a harsher version of yourself, because you want to make sure that your opinions are heard and acknowledged and taken seriously.
0: Yeah. This is kind of an overcompensation.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: Yeah. And I, I would imagine that women, you know, face that more than men. Yes. So what are some of the common trends amongst those individuals that really do succeed greatness in their careers? What are they doing right?
1: I think so being fearless in a couple different ways. One, not being afraid to fail and not being afraid of success either, which is something I I talk to my clients a lot about is that specifically women, uh, There is a fear of success because something in the past has happened because of that fear of success. Like they've lost friends when they've been successful or something like that. So just fearless in terms of success and failure, not afraid to make mistakes, not afraid to take risks and just being resilient and, and not letting, I think also a a lot of us care way too much about what other people, other people think when at the end of the day, like, you know, yourself best and really just separating that. And of course, as a leader, you have to care what what your employees think to a certain extent. But at the same time, you have to understand yourself and what you bring to the table. And and I think that's what I've seen in terms of trends of these successful leaders that I've seen is just like they really know what they bring to the table and they have confidence in their ability to deliver and produce results.
0: I think some people struggle with that topic. It's like, you know, I'm told to be authentic and be myself and believe in myself. But then I somehow need to also turn around and be empathetic enough to take criticism well. But do I believe in myself and know I'm doing it right? Or is this person right? Like, it's a very tough balance to, to, to know how to get that right.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I mean, every single person is different. I think some people have to spend more time in one area than the other. And I talk about also being in your zone of genius as well, which is essentially playing to your strengths. And sometimes being empathetic is in your zone of genius, or sometimes believing in yourself is in your zone of genius. So, spend more time in you know, what your strengths are, but also making sure to acknowledge the, the other side as well. So, it really does depend on the person. But I agree, it's, it is a really hard balance to strike, and it's a constant work in progress. And I think there's no reason why to be perfect. And I think perfectionism also holds a lot of people back. And we don't have to be perfect, we're allowed to make mistakes as leaders.
0: You speak about zone of genius. I've never heard that phrase. This is a perfect transition to the nature-nurture question, which I, you knew I was going to ask you, because the zone of genius implies to me, at least, that you believe that people have innate gifts that maybe others don't have. And I completely agree. I call, that, I call that the nature side of that discussion. What's your viewpoint? I mean, you've been around a lot of people. Do you believe that we are more nature-driven, nurture-driven, combination? I mean, obviously combination, but what's your view on it?
1: So, I think it changes person from person to person, But for me personally, uh, it, it's a combination of both, but I definitely lean more towards nature. And the reason for that is, I mean,, I, yeah, I had a tough childhood and tough teenage life. And I think if it were more nurture, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> and I, I think there was always that drive and motivation in me to succeed. and, So I I think that was just always part of me and my genetics. And and I think the same thing goes towards even asking my dad to take me out to apply for jobs at 12 years old. I mean, neither of my younger siblings did that. They didn't get a job until they were forced to get one. And yeah, a lot of different examples. But I think that thinking about my childhood, like I just was that way. Of course, my parents did a great job and they were awesome parents. And there were a lot of things that i took away from them but i i think deep down inside i, I just am this way
0: yeah you know I, I find that the biggest hindrance to people succeeding is them not being self-aware enough to know what they're good at you call it the zone of genius right they have no idea what their zone is is that a common trend amongst people that you coach that they really genuinely don't know what they're good at and that there's a an exploration process that has to happen and if that is the case how do you even get someone to become more self-aware because i find it's like one of the hardest things to develop in individuals it's like beat my head against the wall trying to coach someone who is within my organization they literally just can't like it's not even they won't change they can't change like i'm convinced of it now that some people just cannot change
1: i agree i do think that some people cannot change and they are the way they are. And, you know, we need to learn to accommodate them and work to their strengths. But I would say that some of my clients, yeah, they don't know what's in their zone of genius and some do, but I think they're ignoring it. And that's a big thing. So even though I do coach heavily on leadership, I think a core component of leadership is being self-aware. And so the biggest thing that I start to coach on is really, truly understanding themselves. So I'll have some of my clients or all of my clients go through an exercise and just understanding again this is, actually works really well with the nature versus nurture understanding their inherited traits and getting a deeper level from both of their parents or whatever maternal paternal figures and understanding what those are writing those down and then figuring out which traits are unique to them and having them think about like how am i unique from from my parents and then which of these traits am i keeping from my parents and which am i releasing and So that's one of the exercises that we do and and helps them get more deeply deeply connected to their why. And sometimes we'll do intention setting, like my intention is, and that'll help them get more self-aware and deeply connected. I also do a big focus on emotions and triggers and helping people understand. So if you are emotionally reacting to something, where is it showing up in your body? What about that situation made you emotionally react? And now that we know that I'm going to have you track that for the next week or two. And it helps them to understand, you know, and also helps you understand your intuition as well. If you're thinking about something that's scary or something that's exciting, because if you understand where it's showing up in your body, but might not be able to understand what the emotion is yet, at least you've tracked your triggers and and what's happening in the past that you might be able to connect that bodily sensation to what you're actually feeling before you even understand it. So there's that we work through limiting beliefs and beliefs that you know came up from childhood that aren't true, and essentially reprogramming them. There's a lot of different ways, but by the end it's there's always so much clarity on who they are, why they are, the way that they are, where they came from, and where they want to go.
0: You've mentioned the why a few times during this conversation. I know, you know Simon Sinek made this extremely famous and popular this this, this discussion on the why so. Well, for those who don't, who haven't seen that talk, and maybe you have a different definition, but, but why is the why so important?
1: And sometimes I, I change it as, I call it your legacy. And so what a legacy is, is essentially what you're leaving behind for the world and the impact that you've had on others and, and how others are going to remember you. It just helps you. And the why is essentially, in my mind, your, your purpose. You know, why you're on this planet, what you intend to do, who it's for and the type of impact you're going to have. So I think it's just important because you can continue to move in any direction. And I really do think that there's no right or wrong direction, just go in any direction and you'll get where you need to be. But having a deeper understanding of your why or your legacy or whatever, however you want to categorize it just helps you move more confidently in a direction.
0: As you were talking about that, I, I got this imagery of like being on train tracks and the why being the train track that allows you to you know, move in that direction. So very interesting. I mean, I, I think that purpose is super important because purpose leads to passion. And I always say that the reason that very successful people tell you to do what you love and you'll find success is because they don't do a good job of explaining why, in my opinion, but you can't outwork passion. I mean, this is what I do every day. I get up every morning and I do it because I love it thank God I get paid to do what I do. And it's, it it happens to be my job, but it's my passion as well. And someone who has to wake up every morning and kind of force themselves to do what I do. Good luck. You're not going to have that same tenacity that someone who loves what they do has.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I always tell my clients that as well is that, yeah, I mean, I'm super passionate about coaching. Don't get me wrong. And, but there are certain parts of what I do as an entrepreneur that I'm not passionate about, but I know I'm really good at it. So that's another thing that I always advise my clients like, yes, move towards what you're passionate about, but also like, what are you really good at? What do you bring to the table? Because that's your zone of genius. That's where you're going to grow. And that's where you're going to have an impact in the world. So, because sometimes, you know, your passion continues to change and you keep changing to whatever it is, passions every six months, like combining the two of the passion and what you're really good at, like that's what you should move forward with.
0: So how young is too young to have a coach? And secondly, when someone's trying to find a coach that's right for them, what would you suggest they do
1: so how young is too young i mean i think it depends on the person i mean i've coached women as young as 20 and up to ages 45 to 50 so i think it depends but i think also the for younger people the the investment can sometimes be a barrier so i mean a coach is cheaper than a therapist but it still costs money and I think for younger people, that that's typically the barrier. So my ideal clients at the moment are typically 26 or 27 and up probably, yeah, probably 26 to 40 is what I've worked with for the most part. And what was your second question again? Sorry.
0: When someone's trying to select a coach that's right for them, what do you suggest they do? Should they be interviewing numerous people? Like How do they even find a list of coaches that might be right for them? Because like I wouldn't know where to find coaches. I don't Is there a place one place you can go and find coaches like i'm not sure
1: yeah so i i would definitely interview and shop around but i i think the thing about us as coaches is we our job on a daily basis especially just starting to ramp up my business i'm constantly sending direct outreach messages to potential clients every single day and so that's how i'm finding my ideal so so good a
0: good coach should find you
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, coach should find me. But uh, I mean, there's so many out there, but still, I-, I would say they're hard to find because you can go into Instagram and type in the word coach, and and even because a lot of people are now starting to make their titles very specific, like confidence coach, leadership coach. Like people are really sh- uh, straying away from just the life coach or just the executive coach because now the coaching industry is growing and there's more of a need in the market, and we're understanding that we need to niche down. So it's becoming a little bit easier for people to find these coaches because they can just enter in the keywords on LinkedIn or, or Instagram and whatever they're looking for, confidence coach, empowerment coach, leadership coach, and can go through those, see if they like their vibe on their profile and can send them a message.
0: So Kelsey, right before we leave, how can people find you or those that are, are listening to this that are looking for, looking for some help and resonating with the things they're hearing from you?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram is at Kelsey Erin Boyer, and Erin is spelled E-R-I-N, Boyer, B-O-Y-E-R. And then on LinkedIn as well, I've just recently started promoting my program on LinkedIn and just Kelsey Boyer on LinkedIn. So I actually recently launched my newest program that is starting in a couple of weeks called Women's, Women's Leadership Accelerator, And there will be a ton of information on that program, both on my LinkedIn and on my Instagram. And there's actually an ability to book a call with me directly if if someone is interested in discussing that further.
0: Great, and we will be sure to link that in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast. So thank you very much, Kelsey. Very much appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing the trajectory of your career and your business.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. This was awesome.
0: Thanks very much. Until next time that's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.